0: This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City. This is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and like I, I showed the book, maybe you saw it, people saw it. I uh, saw the book. The author of How to Give Financial Advice to Women, and uh, we are going to be talking about women and their connection with uh, their advisors and how to make the most of that um, relationship. So to start out, welcome, Catherine. You're in Boston today,
1: is that right? I am. I'm in Boston. I get to be home for a little while, which is a nice treat because I travel a lot.
0: Yay. Wow. Well, we're so glad that you could be with us. And um, I'm coming out live from San Francisco, and we have people listening and viewing now tuning in all over the world. And want to know just a little bit about you and your background, and what had you even write this book in the first place?
1: Sure, um, my background is actually a mix between psychology and finance, and I have been working for about 20 years dedicated to empowering women in a variety of different ways and with how to give financial advice to women, this was the next step of how do we uh, empower women to feel better about themselves and their relationship with money and then also um, how do we empower the advisors who serve them to work with them to have a better relationship. So it really kind of came together uh, that way. And so it's really been a thrill to get out there and talk to women as well as talk to a lot of really great advisors who are committed to doing a better job uh, with affluent women than they've done in the past.
0: Yeah, and it's such an important uh, field. I know a lot of advisors are seeing the importance of connecting and interfacing more with the women that are in front of them and um, not just always focusing on the man and the couple. And uh, what do you have to say to the women in these roles? Like that's what we're really here to have a conversation about. If um, Let's talk about it first from the standpoint of if a woman is there solo, if she's uh, by herself, you know, maybe she's divorced, maybe she's single, maybe um, she's widowed, like maybe there's different things to think about in those different categories too.
1: Well, I think the first thing that we have to do as women is we have to make this a priority. And for some of us, managing money is not a lot of fun, right? If you haven't gone into the financial field or it's not something that really excites you, investments, then it can be hard to kind of dedicate the time you need to dedicate. But the way that I encourage women to think about it is, you know, this is your life savings. And if you're single, if you're divorced, widowed, whatever your situation is, that it's really important to make it a priority. And it can be an enjoyable experience if you find a female-friendly advisor. And so it's really, really important to – Uh, interview advisors the way you would interview uh, maybe a nanny for your kids or you would interview a a new doctor if he was going to do surgery with you, whatever it is, you need to kind of do that due diligence and also trust your gut because we have great gut senses and so Uh, I really think we need to be a little bit more empowered and a little bit choosier as to the advisor we work with.
0: Okay, I want to drill down to this because you said female-friendly advisor, and I'm sure there's a lot of advisors that might read your book and say, okay, this is how I need to look female-friendly. But I want (laughs) to know how a woman actually can tap into is this person really – Going to meet me with what matters to me, and am I going to be able to ask the questions that matter to me? And are they really going to listen? Like, that's the how does a woman know that? Like, how do they differentiate that?
1: Well, I think one of the things that's really, really important is I, I think most women, maybe not all, but most women, we have a really good gut sense and we know if there's good chemistry or not. And sometimes we talk ourselves out of our gut instinct. So the first thing is to, you know, make sure you have good chemistry with this person. Now, they don't need to be your best friend, uh, but you have to feel comfortable being able to share with them. Uh, And they have to also be an advisor who's willing to take some time to kind of develop that relationship. And so if an advisor is really pushing you to hire them or not willing to answer your questions or rushing you in any way, that's not a very female-friendly practice. But advisors who will give you the time and space, really listen to what you have to say, Um, I think those are the more female-friendly ones. And the other point I want to make is that it's okay to ask them, do you work with women? What percentage of women do you work with that are like me? How how do you handle um, a situation when you're working with an independent woman versus maybe a woman and a couple? And it's okay to ask those direct questions and to get a sense of, you know, has this advisor, male or female advisor, really thought about what it means to work with someone like me?
0: That's a really good point. And I think the thing I would want to add from what I've seen from um, working with a lot of women inheritors, um, women who were uh, divorced or widowed, is that uh, they may ask those initial questions and that's when they really need to listen to their gut in terms of how the response happens. Like, did the advisor really answer the question or did did they have an experience of maybe avoiding it by going a different way? Did they feel like their concerns were getting addressed? And sometimes um, asking a question to do like just testing them out and testing the waters is a good place to start. But then also throwing in and having a question about what really matters and seeing how this person shows up around that.
1: Like, what do you mean? What what, well, what really matters?
0: Maybe sometimes um, there's a woman who has a real strong passion about their pets or they're animals, mm-hmm. and that's a value that they hold really strongly, and when they ask about that, they're not just looking for the words of how that advisor's responding, but, yeah. wow, do they connect with me on this, or is mm-hmm. there, do they have a sense of disdain, or they, they don't take it as seriously? Like, you really want to be looking for those nuances
1: as well, wouldn't you say? Yes, I think that that's part of what helps us establish trust with somebody and with a professional is knowing that our core values, they don't have to be exactly the same, but they can be similar. And what's most important is that advisor is going to go out of his or her way to really meet you where you're at, to be very client-centric. So if pets are a passion of yours, they don't need to be a passion of theirs, but they need to appreciate and listen and, and really understand that it's a passion of yours. Yeah, Very
0: nicely said, yeah. So if you're just tuning in, this is the Wealth Psychology Hour on Sylvia Global Media, and I'm Emily Bouchard from the Wealth Legacy Group, and this is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and she's the author of How to Give Financial Advice to Women. And we have our information on the side. If you want to call in and be part of this conversation about how to best interface with your financial advisors, you can call 347-215-6138. And you can also email us at listeners at sylviaglobal.com. and uh, we welcome your questions. And if you want to stay anonymous, just let us know where you're con- contacting us from. And if you want to give your first name, great. Don't have to. So Kathleen, with all the research you've done, and with all the background that you have in this field, you know, do you have a something that you would say to a woman that was coming to you right off the bat in terms of, wow, I don't even know where to begin? Um, I uh, had this inheritance come to me, and mm-hmm. I really need an advisor that I can trust. And I have these advisors that were involved in yep. the planning, and they really haven't acknowledged me very much. They've always worked with my parents, and I have some issues with that. Like, mm-hmm. how would you how would you have a what, – what would you say to that woman?
1: Well, I think the first thing is I would say that, you know, first of all, it's great that she's bringing up For concerns and that they're valid. You know, it doesn't often we talk ourselves out of them, um, that it's valid. I would say that, you know, one of the things I would think about is what are the things that you really want or need in an advisor, even make a list of what's important to you, what are the top three traits. Um, and then go in and try to have a conversation with who you're working with currently. Now, you don't need to make this a really big project, right? And I can tell you a side story on that, but a really big project. But it's, you know, give those advisors maybe a chance to see if when you ask for what you need, they can rise to the occasion. Now, in many instances, they may not be a good fit because you're a different person than your parents. And so then what you want to do is you want to ask for referrals from people that you trust, But then still interview them with your top three or four list. Really interview them because, you know what, Emily, you could have the best advisor in the world, and that person, even though we're colleagues and friends and we have similar values, may not work for me. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's so many advisors out there, um, a lot of very high-quality folks that you can continue to search. Um, But really think about what do I want from the advisor and can this particular advisor as well as firm you know, can this firm provide it to me? And a lot of times when there's a mismatch, it's not always just the advisor. It may be the firm's just not a good fit, too.
0: That's a really good point. And I want to just drill a little bit deeper in terms of this list because, um, you know, when working with women, there are the list runs the gamut of what your top three may be. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I've worked with women where it's like I want somebody who is local Who will be able to meet with me face-to-face on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. I don't want to get statements in the mail. I want them to sit down with me. Mm -hmm. Other people, it's like, I want to have as much minimal contact as possible, but (laughs) I want to know that my money is being managed well. That spectrum. Um, I've seen women that are really looking for um, an advisor that's going to have a socially responsible Focus and really mm-hmm. make sure that their their dollars are actually making a statement in the world about what matters most to them, and that they're values based investing. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because there's different ways of looking at values based investing, and you want to make sure you find out what your advisor means by that versus what you mean by that.
1: And Absolutely. So
0: those are a couple of the examples I've seen. Have you seen some interesting or unusual things on women's top three lists that would be good well, to think about?
1: I think it's interesting because some, I mean, the word out there, and certainly what I talk about in the book, is that women want to have a relationship with their advisor that's different than men. Now, that is a huge uh, statement that has a lot of facts behind it. However, you may be the type of woman who doesn't really want to spend a lot of time with your advisor, and, and that's okay. I think, um, let me give you an example from my own life, is that I had an advisor for a number of years, and I saw him along with my husband, award-winning advisor, very nice man, knowledgeable, credentials. Um, but just didn't feel like the right fit for me. And ultimately, I don't think the right fit for my husband. And so when it came time to interview advisors, on my top three list was credentials. I wanted them to be credentials. I wanted them to connect with both myself and my husband, you know, in conversation. And I wanted someone who really respected that my business was important. And so what was really interesting is I didn't get my top three, I got two of the three, and the exception, which usually I encourage people not to do this, but I knew this person, and he's <laughs> he's solid, he is not um, a CFP. He has other credentials, but he's not a certified financial planner. And so we had a conversation about that. And so what I decided was the fit was so good, and his background was so strong that I was okay with him not having those credentials. So it, it's going in and exploring your top three things and then deciding – Do I need to stick to those? And a lot of times you might. Or in this instance, because I felt such an affinity and it actually has worked out great, um, I decided, you know what, the fact that he can talk to my husband about music, and every every time I talk to him, he asks me about skiing, and he's very supportive of my career, that that replaces my need for him to be credentialed because he's working with a very um, upstanding and ethical firm.
0: Wow, this is great. And I'm so glad you brought that up because um, in our work with uh, women that are inheritors, um, that are divorced, that are going through transition, the fact that you just said credentialed and CFP, I know that a number of my clients are already in this place of if they were listening right now, oh, my gosh, I don't know what she means. I don't even know if I were going to ask that, what I would be looking for, and what is it that I would need to know that would make it so that I wouldn't need that. Right so you're like yeah. you're so you're in the field you're steeped in it can Sure. You, can we take a minute and really just define that for women so that they feel empowered by this
1: show? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are so many credentials that I couldn't even begin, <laughs> but I'll stick with I'll stick with the CFP. So CETA, CFP stands for Certified Financial Professional and what that means is that they have gone through uh, a certain type of education. So it's a master's program usually, um, but additional education in addition to their um, undergraduate degree. And they have also passed a very rigorous exam and had a certain number of hours where they've worked in the field. Um, So it's It's a credential similar to how somebody would become licensed in the field of psychology. So there's um, hoops that people have to jump through. Now, there's a variety of other um, initials out there. There's the Certified Private Wealth Advisor, uh, which is a certification, and I teach at their program, so I happen to know a little bit about that. There's a SEMA, which I think it's Certified Investment Management Advisor, and and there's a variety of these initials. So first, first and foremost, if you're out there and you're meeting with someone and they have initials after their name, Ask them what they are, yes. and ask them to explain. And also, a female-friendly advisor is going to be fine with sharing that information. And then you need to think about, um, you know, can I go and Google uh, the organization and see if this advisor is in good standing? And what these credentials mean, and depending on kind of how you want to invest, it, it, it can be different. The other thing is, um, you know, for me, I think it's the exception to the rule that you might want to go with someone who's not credentialed, but again, I knew him. I knew him on a business level, um, and I also knew he worked with a credentialed field, and that he had all the requirements to be credentialed. He just didn't jump through that hoop. Um, yeah. So so I don't think it's a make it or a break it, but I think it's a good idea to ask about what those initials stand for and then to have them educate you about exactly why did they get that credential and how might it help you as the client. That's the empowered piece because the way they answer that question and the time they spend explaining it will tell you if they're going to educate you on other things that you're interested in learning more about.
0: Well, really well said, and um, what I – What I love about what you said is the most important piece that I want our listeners to get is don't be afraid to ask and really notice Mm. how the advisor responds. If I go into an advisor, I may even know what a CFP is because I've listened to this show, but I may show up and just allow my little innocence to come forward and see how that advisor interfaces Mm -hmm. with me. So you have a CFP after your name. What does that mean? And, you know, are they respectful or are they condescending? Are they put yeah. off? Are they, you know, and you can learn so much about a person when you ask a simple question like that. Are they defensive? Are they, you know, dismissive? Like, there's a lot you can learn. And the main thing you're looking for, I would think, is somebody who's respectful, honoring, can meet you right where you are, mm-hmm. and you can test it out so that if they do present something in front of you that you're not aware of, uh, then you can really understand
1: that you can ask that question and have them explain it. And well, and part of what I, part, I just want to add this piece, because part of what I do when I'm working with male advisors specifically is I explain to them that women ask questions not to give advisors a hard time, not to challenge their authority, as in the male world, and I can explain that in a minute, but in the female world, you ask questions to connect and to learn from each other, and so how that advisor approaches those questions is really important. I think the thing to keep in mind is, in the male-dominated world, in the male culture, if you're questioning another man, you're, you're kind of doing one-up. You know, who's top dog? Who's smarter? And so it has a different connotation than with women. We're kind of like, well, who are you? Tell me about yourself. And so it's, it's understanding that you need to ask those questions and you need to be comfortable Um, knowing that this is a business relationship and you have every right to get the type of advisor you want. And if you sign on with someone and then after a period of time, Emily, you're not comfortable with them, it is also okay to fire your advisor. That's not the worst thing in the world. And women as a whole, have a lot of trouble breaking up with their advisors, where men, I think, are a little bit better at just saying, you know what, this guy isn't working for me, or this woman is not working for me, I'm out of here. We tend to, you know, really work at that relationship, sometimes a little too much.
0: That's a really good point. And, you know, one of the things that occurred to me when you were speaking is anybody who's listening to this um, who's a woman who's in a relationship with a man can relate to what you said even on their (laughs) level. There's a lot of wives, a lot of um, partners that, when they ask their husband a question, when they go to the man in their life and they're curious, um, the man may have an initial response of, why are you questioning me? Don't you trust me? And it's like, that's a really good place to, for a woman to slow down and say, no, no, I do trust you enough to yeah. ask you. I want to understand more. I want to connect with you more around this. To kind of reassure and to take out that initial like you said, the more male approach to if somebody's like, asking me a question, they're questioning
1: me. And right. I've
0: got a for pop- right. you know, it's like, no, no. Well,
1: and it's just one of those gender differences. And one of the things that I've seen is, you know, some male advisors don't fit that stereotype, just no. like some females don't. Um, but it's something to kind of keep in mind and uh, to think about you know, how does this person respond, and do I feel comfortable with the response? and also understand, I guess this is more husband advice or male partner advice, but to understand that um you know men are just wired a little bit differently, and so they often think we're accusing them of something when quite frankly we're not, we're just really wondering.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, too, because I think um, there may be a def- deferral in some people's minds that would say, oh, if I want a female-friendly advisor, I should go automatically to a woman. And that's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. And if There are a lot of men. You you chose a man um, that you believe can be very effective in the role and can connect with you in that way. So not so much a gender bias in terms of who you work with as your advisor, but more somebody who really meets you where you are. That's what I hear. Absolutely,
1: and I think it's different for different women. I mean, the research actually shows that uh, of widows and divorcees, a quarter of them prefer working with female advisors, but that's only a quarter. That leaves three quarters not making the decision based on gender, and then for couples uh, and other women, just choosing it according to chemistry. Usually, chemistry is the best thing. And for me, it was really interesting because I do a lot of work with female advisors and empowering women and... So I've been asked a lot, why didn't you pick a female advisor? And to be honest with you, gender didn't factor into it on a conscious level. It really was unconscious. And when I go back and I think about it, because all my advisors have been men, and my husband would feel very comfortable working with females, so it has nothing to do with him. And so I thought, what is it that I keep gravitating towards these male advisors? And what I discovered for myself, and this only works for me, is that, Growing up, I talked about money and balanced the checkbook and did all the financial stuff with my dad. It was yeah. actually <laughs> a good time. I mean, we actually hung out and we still sometimes talk about money. and um, So that male-female energy feels really comfortable and familiar uh, to me, which doesn't mean I wouldn't work with a woman, but that's just how it's it's uh, I've selected in the past. And that's oh, yes. been unconscious. That wasn't on my list of I want a man to work with. It's kind of like it just panned out that way. That's a really
0: good point, and that's where the, I guess you would say the psychology of wealth really plays into this conversation mm-hmm. where um, so much of what we do in terms of how we interface with money has a lot to do with background, historical behaviors and patterning mm. that we've either witnessed or we've experienced, and that's a really good example. And if Somebody's had a kind of an avoidant issue around money because maybe their father wasn't as, um, <laughs> receptive to those conversations and maybe there was more, don't, you know, I got it handled there may be a way that uh, exploring working with a, a woman might open up some new possibilities mm-hmm. that you had not yeah. considered. And there's more women in the field now than I think there ever has been. And there's a lot of... There options. is. We're, we're still the minority. We're still about
1: 20% of every conference room that I walk into, 20% women, 80% men. But I think what's important to know is there's a lot of male, uh, female-friendly advisors out there. And um, you know, some of them are absolutely wonderful, just like there's wonderful female ones. So really go with what works for you, that connection, that top list, that fit is more important, I think. Uh, unless, of course, for some reason you really want to work with someone of the opposite or same gender, then go for it. I mean, there's so many advisors out there looking for high-quality clients that anyone who's listening to this show, that advisor is going to be lucky to sign you on.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I wanted to um, take a minute after I um, make sure that um, listeners know how they can get in touch with us sure. to go into that, uh, that project you mentioned. I'm going to tell you, don't make a project out of it. So wanna hear that story. Oh, okay. So just to let people know that are just tuning in, you're listening to and viewing the Wealth Psychology Hour through Sylvia Global Media, and you can join in the conversation at 347-215-6138 or you can email us at listeners at sylviaglobal.com, and today we are speaking with Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, the author of How to Give Financial Advice to Women, and uh, we're going to find out a little bit about how a woman or somebody made a project out of finding the right financial advisor.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think one of the things that happens, and I've seen this for a variety of women, i Experienced this and I'm pretty empowered, so I was kind of shocked that it happened to me too. Um, but sometimes, what will happen is we women in general were so relationship oriented, you know, our uh, brain science. We're actually wired for connection. We're socialized from being very early on. You know this, and all your listeners know this, to be very relationship-oriented. So what ends up happening is we, you know, say we do our due diligence. We hire a financial advisor. We think it's going to work, and maybe it even works for a while. And so a couple years go past, and then you're starting to feel like, you know what, this relationship isn't working. And so maybe, you know, you're a little direct, and you bring some things up, Uh, and the advisor doesn't respond the way you want them to respond, that then what I've seen is I've seen women turn it into a project. And by that, I mean, it's almost like they're working in a marriage that no longer works, (laughs) except for the difference is they're not married to the advisor. And there's a lot of inertia, right? There's a lot of, ugh, why move my money? It's so much effort to find somebody new, and I'll just put up with this advisor even though he's not that great or she's not that great. And what ends up happening is then you stop taking care of yourself. And so I think you need to uh, speak up and ask for what you need. You only should have to do that once or twice or top three times, and then you know, you know what, this advisor's not getting it. It might be time for me to move on. Not that there's anything wrong with the advisor. It just maybe it's no longer a fit. In my case, I had an advisor who I worked with for maybe five or six years. I knew I did not want to continue working with him, but it took me two years to quote-unquote break up with him. And at one point, a girlfriend says to me, as I'm talking this through and trying to figure this out, and she finally looks at me and goes, you know what, Kathleen, he's just your financial advisor. Like, you need to stop working at this. And she was so right. so at some point I'm going to do a seminar called How to Break Up with Your Financial Advisor oh, yeah, um, because I think it's a you, skill yeah. that we need. Like, it's just business. It's not the end-all, be-all. And you know what? He survived, and I'm better off working with somebody else right now. So I, I've seen a lot of women do that.
0: You know, and I want to I stop for a minute because it's not just business. You and I both know when a person's money is involved, when our money is involved, <laughs> it's our security it's our future. Yes. We put a lot. There's so much invested in it besides the dollars and who's making the most, you know, the best return on it in any given time. Mm-hmm. For us, It's there's so much emotionally attached to it so that when the person who you're trusting with it doesn't show up the way that you want to, there are different cords to be pulling on. And I think yeah. what you said is, I want to make sure we don't make it so simplified that people don't get it. It's like, no, this relationship to your money really matters. And you need to know that your advisor gets that and can meet you there with what matters to you around it. And to spend two years embroiled in trying to get them to get it, isn't necessarily going to be serving you is what
1: matters most to you. No, absolutely not. And and I'm glad you brought that up because what I meant was a little bit different than I think it may have come across. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I agree with everything that you're saying, Emily. I think it's really important for men and women um, to find a relationship that works for them. When I say it's just business, it's sometimes I find that women, we tend to take responsibility for the other person or we're afraid we're going to hurt their feelings. Ah. And that's where... Unlike the male brain that can compartmentalize a little bit easier and go, this is my financial advisor and this is, you know, my friend, and sometimes they're the same, women tend to have a little bit more trouble separating the emotional from the rational. So that's what I meant. So thank you for uh, having me clarify that. So it's, I meant it more on the side of don't worry about hurting their feelings. It's a business, and sometimes people leave, and it makes sense to leave.
0: Really well said. Yeah, and I think that, that you're right. A lot of women avoid the conflict because of the worry oh, about and yeah. feelings and not just making a clear request about what we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if we don't get that request fulfilled, maybe trying again, but then saying it doesn't look like it's the right fit. And, boy, any woman that's in the dating world can really take this advice. <laughs> and it's all, it all applies, right? With <laughs> your
1: financial advisor dating your husband,
0: your partner, it all works. <laughs> Yeah, I know I'm looking at that. Like why would I invest even more time with a man that's not going to doesn't meet me? Yeah, it's like
1: not a just- Well, and I think the thing with financial advice is depending on the level of your wealth and depending on the engagement, it may be that you don't see them that much. Yeah. So there is a way in which you can kind of put it off or put it to the side and um, and so it's fighting that urge to say, oh, it's only every once in a while. It's it to really say, no, you know, it's my life savings. It's my security for the future generation. Maybe I should take some action.
0: Yeah, and it is. It's really being proactive and having that stance of saying, this matters to me enough to say, I want it hmm. to matter to the person that's working with me on what matters to me.
1: So Absolutely. And there's tons yeah. of advisors out there who care a great deal, so you don't have to settle for one who doesn't.
0: Yeah. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about when we're talking about advisors, we're kind of lumping everybody in this category, Mm -hmm. and I want to say really clearly, we're talking about financial advisors, and there's there's different categories of financial advisors, and I'm wondering, can we speak a little bit about that next, because um, I think it could be helpful for women to understand when they get in front of an advisor, what is behind them? Like if they're a part of a major Mm -hmm. banking institution or if they're – another term that's coming up a lot more now is an RIA, a registered Mm -hmm. assessment advisor. And um, I want to talk a little bit about that, especially around fees and how women can really interface and ask questions related to how does this person make money Mm -hmm. when they work with me?
1: Would you be willing okay. to
0: talk about that one? I think that that's important. Absolutely,
1: if you help me along the way, because it's so complicated. Sometimes it's hard to <laughs> get all the nuances in the field. So what a, it's, a great question. So in general, there are people who are uh, into the financial planning world. They call themselves financial planners, and they can be fee only. And fee only means that they take a fee, they do a financial plan for you, and then they probably um, take a percentage of your assets under management to be able to manage your money. There is a debate in the field and some people feel very strongly that people who are fee only actually are able to be a little bit more objective than the second type that I'm going to tell you about. The second type is uh, commission only. And this is old school, very transactional based. And so somebody who uh, sits down with you and says that there's no fee for the financial plan, um, there's you know, there's really no cost to you, um, that is actually not accurate. What happens is when it's commission only, uh, the advisor is actually paid by the company to sell a particular product. Or they do a financial plan and they take that as a loss in order to get you as a client. Um, there's a middle zone, which a lot of people right now, a lot of advisors are in that middle zone, which I call hybrid, and that's part of what they do is fee only, and part of what they do is take commissions in selling products. And so what you need to do as a uh, client who's empowered is you need to ask them very specifically, even if they don't bring it up, although it's really good if the advisor brings it up in the first meeting because, you know, fees are important, um, but even if they don't bring it up, how are you paid? Exactly. Can you take me through exactly how you are paid and help me understand? Um, Because there are so many nuances and so many um, advisors who are kind of in between the old world of transactional based and commission and the new world, uh, or it seems like the new world, of fee only, um, that it does get really. Confusing, Um, And advisors sometimes feel anxious in answering those questions. That's their own money stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're on the take. It just means that it's hard for them to talk about how they get paid. And you have every right to know uh, exactly what you're paying, when you're paying it, and if it's coming out of your investment and you don't kind of see it, or if it's a bill and you see it, Um, so to be really clear about that. Uh, It didn't answer the RAA or bank question, so I'm going to throw it to you and have you fill in the gaps.
0: Well, I would just think that um, what I would just say from what you've just said is if you go to a financial advisor that has a big name institution behind mm-hmm. them that they're working with um, that's a familiar bank, know that they have a lot of structures behind them to support them in helping you be successful, yes. and there's a strong likelihood that they are going to have something behind them saying this is a really good product to offer to your clients. Mm-hmm. And it's something that they'll make money off of. Uh, RIA, RIA, you need to get very clear. If somebody says that they're an RIA and they're a reg- registered independent advisor, that they actually and that, that their way of approaching investments is fee-based only. And what does only mean? <laughs> Right? Like, am I really like just paying you an hourly rate, and then you make no money off of how money is under management, Mm -hmm. or is it just less money off of what's under management? Like, really drill down with them. And I, I sat down with an RIA firm and I said, I really want you to explain this to me because my clients don't get it and I have trouble getting it. And the thing that's fascinating to me is it's very complex how it's been designed in terms mm. of what percentage yep. depending on how much money is under management and what that looks like over time. And one of the things that I really recommend to the women that I work with especially, and you know, for men too, is if an advisor recommends something to you, really get clear with them about how much money they're going to make on that transaction. Mm -hmm. And it's completely appropriate for you to ask that. And then also ask, I want to know what the benefit is to me, and what's it going to save me if I do this transaction? I'm thinking about one client in particular Mm who um, was looking at, um, she inherited something that she co-owned with um, two of her brothers, and both of the brothers wanted the cash value, and she wanted to mm-hmm. keep the house, the asset. Mm-hmm. And so her advisors recommended in, you have the cash in pocket, but instead of just taking that cash out and paying them out directly, and then losing the potentiality of that earning income on that, Sure. They recommend that you take out a line of credit. She balked at that. She did not like that. She wanted to pay, you know, with the interest rates so Mm -hmm. low. And so we worked together, and I said, these are the kinds of questions you want to ask them to help you be powered and understand, and you want to find out what they're saying that you will be able to benefit from by keeping that money in over the time that you're going to be paying off this loan versus taking the line of credit, you know, (laughs) if you were to take it out. And they gave her the whole analysis, and they showed her that she was actually going to save I don't know, over $50,000 over the time frame. And then when it came after the fact, then she started to find out about the fees and what they made on those transactions and the fact that they started to advise her to pay them off sooner rather than later was very confusing to her and yeah. had her wonder if there was another motive behind it. And it started to erode the trust. She wants to trust with advisors, but mm-hmm. she realized, oh, I didn't quite drill down enough in terms of my questions and... Okay, I get what you're saying, but what, when actually do you see me paying this off? And, how, and it was a, it was an interesting exercise for her to go through in terms of being an empowered woman, needing to get the data for her, uh, you know, her future and her money. So.
1: Well, and I think it's a great example of, of really thinking about the questions you need to ask, and also if things are not going according to plan, and there may be a good explanation, so then to go back and, and have another conversation about it. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I want to just say about RIAs is, is that, um, you know, a lot of RIAs around here in the New England area, and it can be different because it is different geographically, um, have a very good reputation and really do some really nice work, um, can be a little bit more individualized and a little bit more um, uh, cater to what you need um, mm-hmm. than some of the larger companies. Um, so there, there can be an up and a downside. So once again, I think it comes down to fit. Like for instance, yeah. I like working with someone, whether they're in a large firm or a small firm, who thinks entrepreneurial because I'm an entrepreneur. Whereas, you know, someone else might want something that's a little bit more traditional. So, again, asking those questions, exploring, and knowing you don't have to know all the answers, uh, and hopefully you're working with someone who will fill in the gaps or be okay if you need to revisit some of these concepts a little bit later.
0: Yeah, and another part of that, too, is, you know, if you're working with, let's say, somebody who's part of a private bank, you're getting the whole... I would say, for a better word, gamish. That it's yeah. like, you know you get you're going to have estate planning support there. You're going to have all kinds of other support. You can call mm-hmm. them in a moment's notice about other kinds of questions. And there's that real sense of being supported and held, and all these different facets of your. Financial life, yep. and as opposed to as individual, um, you want to make sure. Well, what are the other resources that you have available to you? <laughs> That's another. They thing may have really a very pay.
1: strong network, or they may not. So those are great questions to ask, and and I think they, it also depends on your level of wealth and what you're looking for. Um, so, you know, there's definitely, I mean, I think we're raising lots of questions, and my hope is that people will just start to think about their own questions and take some of the ones that we're talking about and say, oh, these are really useful, um, and not get overwhelmed that there's all these questions. It's just, you know, it, it's really um, starting with what do I want and then asking and seeing if that particular institution, that particular type of financial services company and those that person with those credentials, can they meet it? The other thing is give yourself time to make this decision, you know, and give yourself time to have made a decision and decide your life's changed a little bit or something's shifted and so it's time to move to somebody else. You know, that that is an okay thing to do. Yes, yeah, really. Well, Now, said, if you're jumping yeah. every two years, then you want to think about what is, what is this about for me, but in general, um, it's certainly okay. You know, some decisions are really good in the moment and then five years later, they just no longer make sense. Yeah,
0: and I think the other part, too, is um, when you're choosing your financial advisor and working with them, really, you know, again, feeling that sense of empowerment to come forward. And you may find that down the road you want to start bringing up other issues you haven't brought up before. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, ask them, what is it that I'm not considering that I need to be looking at? Yeah. You know, where there's that sense of, wow, this is a relationship that can grow over time, too. So, um, for oh, did you want to say something else?
1: No, I just what, the one thing just popped into my mind is that, you know, the, the other thing that is, has been interesting working in the field and then, you know, looking for your own advisor and, you know, if, if anything, we're probably so educated that it, <laughs> it can become a problem. Uh, but one of the things is to realize that not every advisor is going to be everything to you. And so, once again, I think that gets to priorities. Like, I would love um, to have an advisor who spends a little bit more time on the couple's stuff with my husband and I, but that's not in his wheelhouse. That's not going to happen, and it's not a make it or break it. I can find it elsewhere with somebody um, like you, Emily, with your expertise or someone in this area. So just keep in mind that there's no perfect advisor. They're just people, but that you can get most of what you want.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, and I want to talk about couples and people who are listening that might want to join in the conversation. We're talking with Kathleen Mm -hmm. Burns Kingsbury, author of How to Give Financial Advice to Women, here on the Wealth Psychology Hour at Sylvia Global Media. And you can call in and uh, bring your questions or comments uh, at 347-215-6138, or you can email us at listeners at sylviaglobal.com. I love questions. (laughs) <laughs> we love it when people come to us. It was great because when we were starting this and I let Kathleen know we've had questions come in from Guam, she let me know she used to live in Guam. So it's like, you just never know. Oh, you never know. <laughs> so talk a little bit about uh, couples.
1: Sure, sure. Well, a couple of wonderful things have happened uh, as a result of my work with Women in Wealth, uh, meeting folks like you, being able to do shows like this, getting out, talking to a lot of advisors. And along the road, what ended up happening is everywhere I would go when I was talking uh, to financial advisors, I would hear, um, well, what about when she's in the room with her husband or her partner? Or what about um, when she doesn't necessarily want to attend the meeting? What do I do? Um, And then when I was talking with the women, themselves, the female clients, they go, well, I never can really quite talk to my husband about these issues. So this couple stuff was kind of in the air, so to speak, and um, because I'm an entrepreneur and I was thinking about what's my next project, I thought, well, you know what? I do have a background uh, in therapy, and I do have a couple's expertise. Why don't I explore this a little bit further and give kind of my audience what they're looking for? So I am very happy to report that uh, How to Give Financial Advice to Couples is my next book. It will be due out in September. I'm even happier to report that it's primarily written. We're just in the editing stage, so that's the easier part for those of you who haven't written a book. And what I really address in it is answering all those questions of how do you manage – it, when there's both a husband and a wife in the room, what are the things that you need to do as an advisor to better meet their needs? and I think one of the things that I discovered if, if there was a kind of a bottom line in terms of this book is that you know women have not have been overlooked by the industry and I think the industry is responding and changing as as our women clients who are listening to the show today, figuring out what's my part in it and how do I empower myself, the advisors are becoming more empowered. I think that what's really, really important is that now advisors take the next step uh, and say, well, what do I need to do differently when there's two people in the room, when they're a couple? Because it's not only advising her, it's advising him and advising them. And that in itself is a complicated proposition, but there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful work and empowerment that can happen Uh, in that respect as well. So I'm really excited about the project.
0: Well, and here's a question that came in that's totally timely. I'm going to post it up. What advice do you have for a couple who each have very different approaches and skill (laughs) levels around managing money? (laughs) How do you see um, in terms of what you learned in your book and how you would have them work with an advisor Mm -hmm. when they're coming from very different backgrounds? Thanks for the question.
1: Thank you very much for the question. You know, it's, it's it's very common, especially in first marriages, to have married somebody who has a different money mindset than you, so a different uh, maybe approach to money, and that's very normal. And so one of the things that I encourage clients to do, as well as uh, financial advisors, is to really take a look at uh, and start to have a conversation that's not about who's right and who's wrong, but about what are your thoughts and beliefs about money um, Say I'm the wife, because that means if I'm the wife looking at the husband, husband, what are your thoughts and beliefs about money? And um, then have him uh, share that without judgment, and then you share what your thoughts and beliefs are about money. The reason that I think it's really helpful to have an advisor in the room is sometimes that can be a heated discussion um, and you can slip into patterns of disagreeing as opposed to an advisor can kind of be a neutral party. And um, it's really, really important just to listen to your uh, husband or wife's different viewpoint. I don't know if we have time for a quick story but I have a quick story on it that highlights it or we can go to Definitely. another question if it's No, no, okay. don't go to the story. That's great. Okay. So, uh, my husband and I in 2006 were ripped off by a crooked contractor, right? He stole a large amount of money from us. And so Well, this wait,
0: hold on for a second. I love yeah. I just love that you're bringing personal stories to this because it makes it so real for anybody listening or watching. And everybody who's listening has had some sort of experience of hiring somebody they trusted and then having it not work out the way that they thought. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, go on.
1: So basically what ends up happening is that um, my husband is responding the way he responds, which he doesn't really deal with money, or in the past he kind of was the money avoidant one, and I was the one who was overly responsible with money. So uh, to just pare this down, so basically there's one day I walk in, and I am a complete nervous wreck because I'm feeling like we're not going to make ends meet, and i um, feeling really worried. And my husband's playing video games. <laughs> so he's clearly not worried. And so I stopped and I had a moment of clarity that I don't normally have, to be honest with you. I had a moment of clarity and I said, when exactly would you start to worry about money? I said, because that would be really helpful for me to know. And he stopped and he actually was respectful and he thought about it. And he goes, you know what, I think it's when people start repoing our stuff. I said, so when they start taking our TV in our car, and he said yes, and then we hysterically started laughing because what we realized in that moment, and I think a lot of couples realize this when they start talking about it, is the fact that, you know what, wow, we come from very different money worlds, and we share a lot of values um, uh, monetarily. But our backgrounds and our reaction under stress is very, very different. So it was really the beginning of talking about it a little bit more honestly and appreciating his viewpoint wasn't wrong. It was just different. And I think that's really the bottom line. With couples, you need to realize your partner isn't wrong. They just have a different viewpoint. And it's about taking the strengths of both viewpoints and and creating this new couple world that can be really so wonderful.
0: Yeah, and that's great. What a fabulous story. And what I would add to that is then um, a woman can really take on making a clear request and asking for her husband or her partner's support around what she needs to feel more comfortable. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm so glad to know where your bar is since my bar is, like, way down here. Like, the moment that the bank account gets below this number of dollars, I go through the roof. I need your support in supporting me in how to take care of my level of anxiety around it, not to dismiss it or to say, well, they're not reproducing our stuff yet, so we don't have to worry about it, but more how do we meet when we have those differences? And, I, you know, when I'm coaching women, there's a, there's a strong way in we can come forward by appreciating and acknowledging the men in our lives and then making a clear request and asking Mm -hmm. them to uh, to support us in what we need, and then really acknowledging them that they can fulfill it, you know, that that they can support us.
1: Well, and and the end result was we started to have uh, weekly financial meetings that were only about 15 minutes long to go over what was happening with this financial situation where he would not play the video games and we would pay attention, and then we'd go off and do something fun. So we took a little bit of what he was doing, a little bit of what I was doing, and uh, life got a lot uh, better as a result. (laughs) met so our couplehood actually
0: that's a great example, and I could see also bringing that to your financial advisor as a couple and just to respond mm-hmm. to this question even further, once you get clear that the couple where you might um, miss and maybe where there's some areas of conflict, being able to bring that to your advisor and saying, "Look, we have these really different views of where we need to be concerned." Um, How can you allay my fears a little bit, and how can you also maybe bring him some reality check in terms of what we might Mm. do to keep the repossession from happening?
1: (laughs) Well, and, and with a couple's friendly advisor, what's going to happen, Emily, is that they're going to be able to be a neutral party, and they're going to be able to hear both sides. And in a really skilled advisor, what they'll do is they'll just translate. They won't tell you what to do. I know sometimes we want to be told what to do. They won't tell you what to do, but they'll translate and help each of you hear the other person's language, so to speak, and that's what a really skilled couples advisor can provide, and it's a really wonderful thing to be able to find someone who can provide that.
0: Yeah, it's so good, and I'm so glad your book's coming out to make it so that there will be more people that can do that, too.
1: Hopefully. That's the goal. (laughs) (laughs) Empower women. Empower the advisors who serve them.
0: Yeah, and, you know, Kathleen and I spoke a little bit um, when you were writing the book about the piece around blended families because of the complexities with that, and I think one of the things that um, when I'm working with advisors is how to make sure that you don't allow the conflict of interest to have, you treating this couple that's in front of you as potential or given adversaries. And Mm -hmm. it's such a pitfall that people can fall into because of the protective mentality that can often happen in financial and estate planning. And so I'm excited to see how, you know, that comes out in the book as well.
1: Well, I think the other thing is that, you know, it's easy for a financial advisor to fall into whatever their family pattern is. So if you were the peacekeeper, you might be the peacekeeper with a couple if you're not aware um, of how you were in your family. So part of the work is really looking at, so what do we typically do in our couplehood and how do we remain objective, um, so we can serve women and, and the people they're in relationships with, uh, better. And so that, you know, that's the goal. It, like squeaking in a little insight in there, um, into the traditional world of financial advising. So that's where I'm pushing it a little.
0: <laughs> well, I like it. And you know before we get into our uh closing comments I wanted to see is there um one piece of advice you would give to women going in and working with their advisors uh to help them be as empowered as they possibly can be um in uh, facilitating this conversation and, Absolutely. and their relationship. Yeah,
1: cuz you've done I a lot. I think they of need research. I think that there's a, a couple of different things. My top 3 would be trust your gut. I think I've been pretty clear about that. If yep. your gut is off, um, you know, don't let your mind uh, take, take control. I think you also have to not make assumptions. You have brought this message home today very clearly, Emily. You have to ask. You have to think about what do I want, and you have to not assume. So, uh, you know, don't trust your gut. Don't assume. And last but not least, it, and this can be the hard part for some people, do your research. You know, really think about not only what you want, but but the reputation of this person, how they're paid, all of those things that sometimes are the nitty-gritty that we would prefer not to look at, that it's your um, it's your responsibility as a client to take care of yourself in that way. So those would be my top three things to really think about.
0: Great. So trusting your gut making sure you do your research, and don't be afraid to ask for what you want.
1: Right. And real- don't assume that, that you know the answers. Just ask them.
0: Yeah, asking. is. Yeah, I love that. And I think one of the things that we work with inheritors a lot about um, with our rich life portfolio, with um, their interfacing with us in terms of leading a truly rich life, mm-hmm. is feeling okay about wanting what they want and asking for it.
1: Absolutely.
0: I know that there's people that are listening and they're like, well, if I knew what I wanted, you know, that would be a good place to start. So, you know, and being able to trust that what you want is really what you want. And, I mean, I feel like we're going to need to do another show because oftentimes when somebody is an inheritor, they have this sense of, Stewarding somebody else's wishes mm-hmm. and what they want versus being able to drop into well, here's what matters to me, my values and what I want. How do those two interplay? How mm-hmm. am I allowed to have both when I have this sense of overwhelming responsibility and obligation based on somebody else's um, wants? Right.
1: I think it can get. It certainly is very complex with inheritors. I think the other thing is, is if you are at the place of just trying to figure out what you want, there is nothing wrong with that. That that's a great place to start. And so wherever you're at and you're listening to this show, just start there and chip away at it and know that it's a process. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to take some time. Um, so hopefully while you're working at getting better at knowing yourself, there's more financial advisors out there better just uh, better trained to serve you.
0: Yeah. Well, Kathleen, it's been so wonderful having you here. I want to make sure, because I think we got cut off at the beginning, that people know um, that... You are a wealth psychology expert, behavior change specialist, and author of several books, including How to Give Financial Advice to Women. And you are currently working on one, How to Give Financial Advice to Couples. And we'll have you back in September when that comes out.
1: I would love that. Yeah, I would love that.
0: That's wonderful. It's been a delight having you here. And uh, Kathleen. You know, you have such a, a wealthy background from all of the different perspectives that you bring to this. It's really amazing to be able to talk to you about this. And uh, we spent some time thinking about this show, and we came up with an evocative question for our listeners and viewers, and um, want to make sure everybody has that, and it's what would you like to change about your relationship with your financial advisor? So given <laughs> what you've heard today, given what... Um, We've talked about, you know, what is it that you personally see that you would like to change about your relationship with your advisor and for listeners to really get a sense for that. And then our inspiring invitation is um, for anybody who's listening or viewing to consider how you might graciously and respectfully let your advisor know what you'd like to be different and give them a chance to show up in a new way. (laughs) <laughs> and I think what we're going to need to add to that one is and to give yourself permission if they don't show up in a new way to say, thank you, and I'm ready to find somebody else. That you have that right to do that. And then um, I think
1: the useful tool we want to make sure everybody is aware of is KBPK Wealth Connections is a company that's dedicated to helping financial advisors uh, connect, communicate, and collaborate with the men and women that they serve. Uh, I also work with uh, women of wealth to help them be empowered around their relationship with money and understand how their thoughts and beliefs about money impact how they feel in the world, uh, how their businesses run, and whether they're profitable, and uh, how their relationships feel. So if you want more information, you can go to KBK. Uh, WealthConnection.com and check out the resources there. I do have a blog and a workbook that might be of interest to you. So thank you very much. I've had a great time on the show. And the last tip I would have is trust yourself. Women know what we want, and when we don't know, it sometimes takes us a little bit of time. But really do that work because that's a great place to start. Thanks, Emily, and for having me today.